Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the legend Teddy Atlas and also the star of Dynamic Striking's boxing instructional videos. Teddy, how you doing? I, I'm doing good, Ken. Uh, I, I wish Wada would look at some of those instructional videos. You know, I'm half kidding. I'm, I'm jesting a little bit, but it probably wouldn't hurt him too bad. Um, listen, we have something pretty special to talk about. I mean, we have a, a special podcast in front of us where we have competition for the thrill in Manila. I mean, when you talk about trilogies now, you know, I know we're going to deal with some other stuff and I'm just, I guess I'm just teasing the audience in a proper way to let them know what's coming. They already know what's coming, obviously. They know what happened this weekend. The the uh, slot machines were quieted for uh, a f certain amount of time in Las Vegas to hear the heartbeat, the very large heartbeat of two special men in a ring. And again, as I started this, the the thrill of Manila will always be there, but now we have something else to reference to. And there's many great trilogies, let's face it. I mean, many great trilogies. Uh, but most of them, the third one wasn't really always the charm. You know, like when you talk about Ward and Gaddy, the, that first fight was never matched. It was never matched. Um, you talk about Castillo and Corrales, which to me is one of the greats of all time. Also, the first one was never matched, you know, but wow, the the third one here, it it really, it really was special. And um, but before I, before we go to the undercard, which we're going to touch on two heavyweight fights on that, and I'll let you lead me. But I just want to talking about champions and behaving like champions, and for me, Wilder earned the right to be considered a champion in losing. Yes, and I'll get into it more later. But you did too. You went over to London a week ago. I want to touch on it really quick. I, I've been, you know, I brought it up to the, to our fans before. I sent out a message to you uh, after the race. You went over there for the London Marathon. You raced in your category uh, of fifty-year-olds. Uh, you'll explain exactly, specifically what it is. But it was a world championship. Uh, category of, of your age group in the London Marathon. You did tremendous, my friend. You came in second. I'm not sure. Maybe the WBC had some officials over there. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for a little investigation. I am. Um, I really, from my heart, uh, congratulations. You made us proud. You made me proud with your effort. Uh, tremendous time, 229. I, I believe that was your time, 2.29. Tremendous. Yep. I mean, that's that's pretty incredible. And I would like, I I hope that the fans over there gave you the love that I asked them to give you um, because you would never ask for it. But I I, I know you're becoming an internet sensation, a darling out there <laughs> that, that people are sending their love out that way. But I'd like you to just give us a quick synopsis of what that experience was like, Ken, you know, going going across the pond, racing in such a significant race with so many runners. Uh, just give us a quick walkthrough, please. 
Yeah, first of all, it was great to see so many of the fans as I was uh, in the staging area. Now, there's probably 40,000 people at this race, and I was in one of four staging areas, and I went to warm up, and as soon as I walked out a little area to get onto a side street by myself where I could just run up and down for a couple miles to loosen up, one uh, one of our fans was there and just called out to me, hey, Ken, and I was like, yeah, I don't know anyone in London. I don't think that's here, and he's like, oh, it's me, Luther, and a guy had sent me some messages on... um, on Instagram and it was just nice. The guy was like, man, I can't believe you're here. And I was like, I can't believe someone recognizes me. Thank you, you made my day. So it was nice to see all the fans. I got a lot of nice messages. So regarding the race, yeah, I lost by just under a minute. Um, I just, man, in hindsight, I would have, we, I kind of got separated from some of the other guys in the race. We, we, I thought we were all going to start in the same area, and this is on me. I didn't realize some people would start in a different, there were three distinct start areas. So I took off. I was leading our start area at three miles, around three and a half miles. I think it all merges together into one. I was leading by a lot. I couldn't see the people behind me. It was just me and the motorcycles. Unbeknownst to me, there was another runner up the road um, just about 50 seconds ahead of me. I didn't realize it, so I ran slightly defensively. In hindsight, had I known he'd been up there, I would have liked to have had the, the, known that so I could try to um, you know, use a little bit different tactics, but it's on me. I should have known that there might be the possibility that someone else was up the road. Nevertheless, I... Um, you know, I, I, I did the best I could. I ran 220, just under 230. And um, that guy, the other guy ran 229.04. And um, yeah, when I finished, I thought I won. <clears throat> I didn't. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty disappointed. It's a long way to go. You know, I, I appreciate everyone. Second place is 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 honorable. But I went there specifically to win. I didn't win. And uh you know, I'm a little bummed out, but that's life. And if and if if you knew you couldn't fail at doing these things, then I probably wouldn't have gone and tried to do it because this is what testing yourself is all about. I'm too old to get punched in the face at this stage of the game. Although maybe with some of these Trilla cards, I can get back in there. But uh, you know, it was uh, it's something that keeps me motivated, gets me out of bed in the morning, and uh, it's something that no one else has any influence over, just me. And um, I appreciate everyone's kind words. I thank you and Rob for all the messages of support. It was um, it was a great experience, and uh, you know, I wish the result was slightly different, but all I can do is keep it moving i know our family of of fans um supported you on the internet through the internet i i'm grateful for that i thank them for that i appreciate that that love and that sharing of support that they give to our show and they they sent over across the pond uh to you and i'm i'm just uh i'm proud to have uh an association with the fans that we have uh, that make it give us a reason to do the show. I mean, we, yeah, that's the truth. We, we're, at a, we're at 199,000 subscribers. We're going to be at 200,000 this week. And um, I just, I want to thank all those because without you, we're not doing this. There's no reason to do it. And hopefully you want us to continue doing it. <laughs> Keep passing the word, brothers and sisters. Um, so we can continue to build that number, but we uh, we really appreciate you. I, I know we usually we don't get a chance to say that too often, but with talking about this situation with Ken, I just wanted to take that moment to just thank everybody for for giving us a reason to do this show and supporting it the way that you do to the level. 
And that's a good reminder, Teddy. Guys, we're at 199,000 subscribers. If you're watching this on YouTube right now, please hit subscribe. Be the person who puts us over 200,000. I think at some point here, maybe at 250, we're going to do some kind of big giveaway and send some signed gloves and stuff out. Just um, I can't stress enough how much it means to us the support really all all joking aside the love from the uk is incredible and someone said on one of the comments recently that we have a bias against uk fighters i'd say quite the contrary i love the uk fighters i think the fans come that they're willing to die for their guys and um there's no bias here we 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 honestly I know I could. I know I don't have a bias, and I could tell you that Teddy only speaks the truth. He'll tell you exactly what he feels. I don't think that um, nationality ever comes into the conversation when we're talking about a fighter's uh, abilities in the ring or his skin color or anything else for that matter. Just his ability to fight. With that said, I Adam love Klonowski. I love my brothers and sisters across the pond. Love them. Love. <laughs> couldn't have more sincere thoughts and. Uh, appreciation for them, really. And, um, you know, whether they're making the crumpets or I'm making them, it don't matter. We're, 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 we're both sharing them. We have different turns to make crumpets for each other. Sometimes I'm right, sometimes they're right. But at the end of the day, uh, butter on my crumpets, uh, <laughs> a little bit of preserves on theirs maybe. But I, I love you guys. That's it. Hey guys, quick break to give a shout out to today's sponsor. First up is NordVPN. That's Virtual Private Network. NordVPN. When I'm traveling, and I'm traveling a lot, I just come back from London, I was in LA, New York, all in the past week. I'm often using unsecure hotel or airport Wi-Fi or unsecure Wi-Fi networks at coffee shops, restaurants, etc. These types of public Wi-Fi uh, are notorious for getting your data hacked, which can be a nightmare. It's happened to me, it's happened to friends of mine, and to avoid it, I've been using NordVPN. It's easy to use, it doesn't slow down your connection, and it makes sure all your data is private and protected. I even use it at home just to have that added layer of security and peace of mind. NordVPN is offering our listeners 73% off a two-year plan plus four months free. To get this special offer, go to nordvpn.com slash atlas. Use the promo code atlas, A-T-L-A-S, at checkout. That's nordv, like virtual, p like private, n for network.com slash atlas. Use the promo code atlas at checkout. Today's episode is also sponsored by my guy Jeff Byers at Momentus. Momentus is a sports nutrition and human performance company that creates best-in-class supplements. I'm an investor in the company. I love these guys. I use every single product they make. I used it in my preparation for the London Marathon. I typically take their whey protein and the recovery shake. Um, I was taking the whey protein, the Elite Sleep Blend PR lotion and their collagen product in the buildup to the London Marathon. And I'm still taking each as I get ready for the New York City Marathon in four weeks. A special offer to our listeners. Momentus has given a, samp a special sample pack. Protein, collagen, elite sleep, and PR lotion. PR lotion is the best. So that you can try a week's worth of all these products for just $35. Go to livemomentus.com slash atlas. And again, use the promo code ATLAS, A-T-L-A-S, at checkout. Again, livemomentous.com slash ATLAS. 
You stole my thunder earlier, by the way, as an intro to the fight. I was going to say, Teddy, not much to talk about this weekend. Uh, Maybe we could pick up on the college football or something. But you already told them that we're going to talk about the heavyweight fight. So let's get into the undercard. Adam Konoski gets a rematch against Robert Hellanius, which was a bit of an upset when Robert beat him the first time. At least I was surprised. But how crazy crazy is that, that Hellanius was still a big dog, a pretty sizable dog? Shows you that sometimes these guys kind of like, like when Muhammad when Muhammad Ali fought Sonny Liston, and you know Liston was seven to one favorite. Ali, you know, obviously stops him, and then the rematch, Liston's the favorite still. And I mean, it happens. It happens. But yep, um, people gave no credit to Hellenius, and they didn't look at what Konaki showed himself to be. He showed himself to be just a tough guy that was given really, you know, was given opponents that were favorable to build a record. Okay, I'm being very nice. He was given those kind of opponents. I mean, I know that he beat, uh, he beat um, Chris Ariola, who was forty. Chris Ariola, who was yep. forty years old. But that's and and then Chris gave a tremendous and kudos to Chris. What a warrior! He gave a tremendous effort to Ruiz uh, against Ruiz. But still, uh, Ariola had been through a lot of losses, a tough times. Um, you know, obviously he's past his best. So he beats Ariola in a slugfest, and and then he gets he gets stopped by Hellenius, and then. They go and they make Konaki a favorite again with Helen. They're not seeing what Konaki is not. Yeah. See, you thought I was going to say what Konaki is. No, they're not seeing what he's not. He's not a fighter with with proper properly defined skills with good technique. He's he's like Wilder. That's I mean, really, we we speak the truth here. Um, it's a shame when I look at him. I it's the same as I look at Wado in some ways. I think what a shame because I'm a I I think like a teacher thinks. I think what a shame that nobody ever taught this this lion hearted guy how to fight. What a shame that nobody ever taught him the basics of fighting. And then I think about what the late great Mickey Duff one of the great boxing promoters of all time, he used to say, Teddy, th- this guy gets insulted if you miss him. <laughs> I mean, and, and then Costamato would have tripped in and said, Teddy, somebody needs to tell this guy it's not illegal to move his head. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's absurd in my business. Yeah. When I look and say that these guys aren't taught anything with all the heart they got, the difference between, of course, him and Wada as Wilder was born with a lot more talent. I mean, yeah. Wilder, Wilder has great genetics. Wilder has superior talent, so whether it's superior athleticism or just get right to the point, uh, power. As I always say, punches are not made, they are born. And Wilder has that gift. Um, but Wilder don't know how to fight either. And, and One get- quick thing about... One quick thing about that fight, though, and then I want to hear what you thought about the actual fight, is that Konaski, he took a 
beating against Hellenius. It was like Hellenius knew what he, what, what he had in front of him from the first fight. Adam didn't do anything to improve in the second fight. And the, and the, the second fight just was a continuation of the beating he got in the first fight. I mean, he beat the crap out of him every round to the point where Adam was blatantly hitting him with the Polish Pekka shot right out of Andrew Galata's playbook. I couldn't believe this. One or two, okay. He was when trying you, to get out. Slow he was trying to, and that's one of thing. Course. The commentators sometimes okay. The, the commentators sometimes aren't okay. The commentators uh, sometimes play politics. They sit in the middle of the fence. They won't say something that they think is going to upset somebody. Why the freak not? That's your job. But yeah. in this case, they were right. They were right. Uh, he was trying. He was trying to get. He was trying to get out. And and he he was one of two things. But it was he was trying to get out. But the other thing is he's trying to obviously hurt the guy, slow the guy down from doing what he's doing to him. He's he, he's in other words, he's in a desperate place, uh, in an urgent place where he doesn't have any other answers. But also, if he gets out by hitting the guy low, then it's not like he gets stopped. You know, it's it's a it's a no no. But in his mind, in his mind, not the fire. I know, I it's know. like if I get disqualified, it's it's a little different in his mind. Not the fire at that moment. It's a little different than getting knocked out. Um, well, you use Wilder as an example. Wilder to me gained more fans than he could have ever imagined. I have a new level of respect for Wilder that I didn't. Well, have. Wilder Kalanaki did. Wilder did Kal- exactly what Sugar Ray Leonard did. Uh, in the first Durant fight, in in a loss, yep. he he gained. He in that loss, right. he gained as you just touched on the respect of the fans that he never had before, because of the way because of the way he behaved. Yeah, my point with Konaski is you'd be better off to just keep doing what you're doing and 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 take your lumps, but to do that to get out throws away that entire effort that you might have put in otherwise. Well, I'm going to add something to what you said about going into this fight, picking up where he left off. I'm going to change it. <laughs> I'm going to add a little something, a little, a little more definitive and a little more, a, a little more important from a fighter's perspective of mortality. That first fight took more out of him, I think, than people realize. You know, not everybody is George Foreman. George Foreman's a very special man as a person and as as a human being, as a person, and also physically. That what he could endure, and he'd come back 10 years later and win a world title at 45, and what he could endure. Um, very special man. Not everybody has the capacity to endure the way that a George Foreman did. And I'm here to say that what we're missing a boat on a little bit maybe is how much that first beating with Hellenius took out of Kanaki. You know, everybody only has, if we're gonna if we're gonna kind of put it this way, only have so many punches in them that they can take. <laughs> it is you know, it's like a rock. You you hit a rock, you hit a rock, it doesn't go anywhere. You hit the rock, you hit the rock, you hit uh, and and then maybe on your 550,000 strike on a rock, a piece chips off. And that's what, that's what the endurance level, the capacity of hits the rock had on it. You don't know what that number is on a human being. Everyone is different. And that number is a little different for Kanaki than it is with, with people like George Foreman. And maybe people even 
Maybe we'll find out down the road. That's when you find out. Maybe even people like Wada. We don't know what that number is. But we might be at that number with Kanaki or very close to it. Because if he's getting oh, between between the punches, Teddy, and, and the sparring. intentional low blows, that's like a new level. That that that's what I mean about he could have got knocked out and moved on with his career. I mean, he could have made the argument Hellenius was just a bad style, bad matchup. I can come back, but when you do something like that, you really kind of put yourself in a different category, like Andrew Galata. Like, dude, don't intentionally foul someone. I know even if you're looking for a way out, like there's better ways to do it than to do that. That was just silly. And it's unfortunate that that's what he went. Because I like Adam Konoski. It's just when you do that kind of stuff, it really puts you in a different category. I'm going to say something very, very strong. We say strong things here. I'm, I'm not going to shy away from it. He should retire. Okay? A lot of people are going to get mad. All right? It won't be the first time someone got mad watching this podcast. Um, you know? So get in line. Get in line. Um Somebody had you a cup of water, just like they handed Ken when he was doing the marathon. Did they? Did they give you water? Did they give you water, Ken? No one handed me anything. You had to grab your own. They had little bottles of water because of COVID concerns. You had just to get a bottle. Which, to be honest with you, I prefer because then you can like sip it out instead of dumping a cup of water on your face when you're running as fast as you can. But uh, I digress. No, no, it's good. Well, well, I, I listen. I don't want to take anyone's career away from them, but. You know, this is a dangerous sport. It's a, it's a very serious sport. And so when I say that, yeah, I'm saying something serious about somebody's career that they should no longer uh, fight, make money, and pursue their dreams. Um, yeah, I understand what I'm saying, but I understand why I'm saying it. Because it is a dangerous sport. Because there are consequences in this sport if you don't belong in it at a certain point. If you're not good enough at it at a certain point if you take too many punches at a certain point uh there's a very serious element uh at the end of the day uh something very serious waiting for you down the road and i don't want to see anybody in that position and i've been around long enough to see this guy's not improving uh he needs somebody to teach him obviously he hasn't found that person I don't know what his capacity to learn is. I don't know, but uh, I I will I will take the assu- uh, assumption that he just hasn't been. By what I see, he hasn't been taught. He hasn't been taught what he needs to be taught, and um, for him to continue on this road, doing what he does, which is take punches, it's it's a reckless road to be on. And uh, you know, Hellenius. Hellenius, to his credit, first of all, he's an experienced guy. He's 38, 37. He's an experienced guy. He's fought much better fighters. There's a lesson there, too, that when you build a guy up with soft opposition, you put him on a liquid diet instead of giving him a diet that he can chew something, have to chew a little bit, digest something, burp every once in a while. You know what I mean, Ken? Uh, (laughs) When you give him that kind of soft, soft menu of opponents, you get to that place eventually where whether it's 16 and 0, 20 and 0, 22 and 0, 25 and 0, whatever. You get to that place where guess what? You're going to get indigestion because you haven't had You run in, you run into a gigantic viking. Yeah, you're going to have a problem because you haven't dealt with what you have to deal with to know whether or not you're at that level to be prepared for what's coming. 
to be prepared for what's coming. That thinking you're going to get away with what you were getting away with with that soft opposition. And then all of a sudden you get put in there with a guy, a big guy who can punch a bit, a guy who's experienced, a guy who has fought those guys that has given them the answers of what he needs to have the answers to, that he can, what he can deal with at that level and how to deal with it. He's gotten those and answers. a guy who wouldn't be intimidated, and a guy who wouldn't be intimidated. Like Hellenius is the kind of heavyweight that makes me nervous. You know, like you see him in the ring. Like I'm like, damn, that guy looks scary, big Viking, and he brought it to him all night. And like I like was saying, he he has been in there with the level of yeah, he had his certain amount on his way up, like everyone else. You build him up, but yep. then he fought real guys. He fought guys where you get real answers, real guys real answers and um unfortunately uh konaki had not fought those real guys until he fought hellenius and uh, he wasn't ready for it maybe he never would have been ready because he hasn't been taught the things that he needs to be taught and he doesn't have the ability to learn or the talent uh to go with it whatever but the truth the real truth is he's at a place now that I don't see it changing. And he could get seriously hurt if he continues down this path. So let's go on to the next. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah, next up from, uh, we've got two, two um, heavy undefeated heavyweight prospects, the Cuban Frank Sanchez versus the Nigerian F.A. Ajagba. Two good-looking prospects. Ajagba with the physique of like a Greek god, but Frank Sanchez, the young Cuban, uh, put it on him. One-way traffic, beat him in a sound, unanimous decision. Um, Frank Sanchez looked great. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Frank Sanchez and if you think he has the goods to like take the next step up from here. But he moves on undefeated, gives Ajagbe his uh, first loss. How'd you like that one, and what'd you think of Sanchez? Well, the first thing I've got to say, because it needs to be said, I, I was surprised that the referee didn't do anything when Sanchez hit Ajagba. Uh, with a vicious uppercut while Ajagba was down. The referee could have disqualified him. I mean, that's yeah. that's how blatant it looked from, that, from my seat. That's how blatant. Yeah. I mean, the commentators didn't really go into it, I don't know, to the level of maybe giving me a little more information. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's me that I just yeah. didn't uh, understand or hear the information uh, in a clear enough way for, for me to to get a more definitive understanding of it. what? But from what I saw, I mean, you know, Ajagba's on the ground with his knee and he gets hit this uppercut, which was, he, he's got a good chin, Ajagba. Seriously, he really yeah. does. He gets hit this tremendous uppercut that would have knocked a lot of guys out. Or, yep. I'm going to give credit to Ajagba's character. A lot of guys would have played it. If they didn't get knocked out, they would have played it to get a disqualification. He needs to, yeah. that needs to be said. He didn't play it. He behaved like a fighter. And yet, For sure. the referee didn't maybe behave like a referee. The referee did not protect him. I thought maybe the ref just missed it on like a bang-bang play where his knee touched the ground and was coming back up. And I think that, I didn't think Sanchez intentionally tried to follow him. I think it was like a bang-bang shot 
And but but to your point, he's if he's down, he's down. I just thought, yeah, maybe it could have been handled differently. But I didn't get the impression that it was just it was um, intentional on Sanchez's part. And I think the ref just genuinely missed it. But you're right, you can't he can't hit him a shot when he's down on the ground. Now listen, there wasn't even a point taken away. I mean, um, exactly. And they have replay there. And they have replay there. So anyway, that's that that had to be said for me. Because I try to go to the priorities of things. And for me, that's a priority. That was at the top of the list of importance. And in the end, listen, I also want to give credit to two unbeaten fighters, heavyweights in this case, of course, fighting each other at this stage of their career before you know, they got to or at least tried to navigate, which a lot of guys do, you know, to a title fight or, you know, a big purse, you know, a big, big purse. Um, in the end, Sanchez was just a little bit more dimensional and polished. Uh, but he better stop doing one thing. A little advice if he wants to listen uh, over here. He better stop leaping, leading with the left hooks he does in front, which is a no-no for me. You lead with left hooks in front. Sooner or later, if he keeps doing that, that there's a straight right hand out there with his name on it. Believe me, it's got <laughs> Frank Sanchez. I see it right now. I can see it. it's got <laughs> Frank Sanchez, you know. Uh, they're packaging it up right now, just waiting for delivery. As soon as they get the signal, <laughs> they're going to send it over. And you know what would help him avoid throwing that shot? Is if he went and looked at those dynamic striking videos that you put together for um, – um, the guys at Dynamic Striking. And what you should be doing if you're going to look at those videos is wearing Teddy's 36 collection from Box Raw. Check it out. Thank 36 you, minutes to make life fair. Go to Box Raw. There's a whole Teddy collection. Sorry for the shameless plug, but I want to help out my friend Teddy and make sure everyone knows where they can find Teddy's videos and his gear. I carry on. Sorry, uh, Teddy. Thank you. I want to see you wearing that damn thing pretty soon instead of... See, if the fans want to... You know what? If the, the fans want to see me in a damn tank top, let's I get I'd like to see you wearing it instead of just displaying it. And there it is. See, I knew you'd do anything to show that body off. That's that's to show <laughs> off that physique. All, I, all I had to do was give I've you an opening. junk for a week. Just a little opening. Bang! Right in there. Beautiful. <laughs> Looks good on you, Ken. Let's go. I'm ready. Looks good on you, kid. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Look, I, a little different from the way that you introduced the fight, I didn't think it was all one-way traffic. I thought a Jogba was in a fight, but the other guy was more polished. And, but I thought a Jogba was in the fight to the point that he always had that right hand, uh, sort of cocked and ready and there was always a possibility he could maybe get it in because of what I just touched on, that Sanchez does have that bad habit of leading every once in a while with a left hook in front where a straight right hand could get in because straight beats round. And um, so I, I thought a Joppa was just, he wasn't as developed. He wasn't as sophisticated, maybe is the best way to say it. Um, kind of like Fury with water. And again, we'll get into that more. But that was the big difference. Simply put, water is not as developed nearly technically as um, as furious. And uh, at the end of the day, Customato would have been calling me up after that fight and saying, see, Teddy? See, Teddy? I always tell you, you get two tough guys but one is smarter, one is more taught, one is more developed. 
that one becomes tougher. And there's truth to that. There's truth to that. That Cuban amateur system will do that for you. Yeah, they, hey, listen, they, they have, they are like Joe Rogan is in our business. They are the kings. They are the monsters. Uh, they have that great national Cuban Olympic team. Of course, they live in a communist country. They have to. Do- I was going to say, they have a bit of an advantage when they have a captive audience, uh, pun intended. Well, and it's their only out. It's their only out. Yep. They, they live in a difficult place over there, really. I mean, I know it. I, I did four Olympics for NBC starting in Sydney, and it'll forever be it'll forever be you know sketched into my mind uh seeing those great olympic cuban olympic fighters selling their gold medals it just broke my heart broke my heart those are the kind of things that you wish you had enough scratch that you could be able to tell them how much you're going to sell that medal for here's the money scram keep the medal yeah i agree i agree that's the human thing to do ken and that's why I appreciate having you with me. And that's why you're with me because of what you just said, because you have that side to you. And a hundred percent, it really did. It would break your, I mean, you'd have to be a, you'd have to be some kind of android not to be moved. Well, Teddy, Teddy, as an example, when we had Lomachenko on the, on the uh, show, and I'm sure you'll remember this, I asked him of all the belts he had won, and at the time he had, I think, four different weight divisions, every belt, he had every, he won everything. I said, what's the most important thing, accomplishment in boxing? And he said, without a second thought, the two Olympic gold medals. So when you think about everything that guy's accomplished, the, the gold medal, which probably didn't pay him anything relative to what he was making as a pro, it, those gold medals mean everything to amateur fighters so to have these guys as soon as they win the medal like you said at the games selling them and selling them for food selling them so they could get food selling them so they could have a birthday party for their two-year-old daughter one of them um it was it was almost even even the people who buy those like do you really want to display something uh, that you exploited a person for what are you going to do with that no i agree here's the here's the medal i bought for five grand ten grand it's it's not right and and you want to know listen since you touched on a figure the highest one that i saw there that they sold it for was fifteen hundred dollars that's that's oh come on no no that's what they were going for because again um People take advantage sometimes of people in a desperate situation. They do. We have great people in this world, but we also have people that aren't as great. Um, you know, we, we do. And sometimes they see a situation like that and they exploit it uh, for their own reasons. And and I saw that. I, we witnessed that, you know, from a distance. We witnessed it. We, you know, we were, we were in our workplace. It's not like we were out there amongst them. But we were able to see what was going, hear what was going on, be told what was going on. And it was something that you didn't want to hear. At the end of the day, you almost wish you weren't told what was going on. But again, uh, they have a great system. They have very, very obviously hungry uh, fighters to teach over there in the amateur system because it does give them a better chance if they're on the Olympic boxing team. It, it doesn't. It still doesn't come close to the opportunities you have in this great country, but it, it gives you a chance to live a little bit better. And 
it gives them a chance that if they're good enough, they can escape because that's their goal at the end of uh, if they want to make something more for their families, that they can escape and come over here and become a world champion over here, which many of them have done. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the the Cubans, as I said, the Cubans, they it used to be the Russians. It used to be the Soviet Union years ago, strong son of a guns. And why was it the Soviet Union? Why was it the Cubans later? Well, they didn't have at that time, things changed, but at that time they didn't have the option of going pro. You know, so you had guys that had 300, 400, 500 amateur fights where our kids would turn yeah, pro. Good point. Yeah, our kids would yeah. become 19 and they turn pro. And then you start over with a team. So we had great, we had great teams. So that 76 team, I think, is the greatest of all time, in my opinion, of all time. Yeah. Um, five, five, five champions and five world champions came from that team. Uh, no, actually, four of them won world title. Howard Davis was the only one who didn't win a world title, even though he won a Val Barker Award for the greatest boxer, the best boxer in the Olympics. He didn't win a world title. He came very close. He came very for Jimmy Watt, and he fought Edwin Rosario. He came very close, but... The great Howard Davis, one of the greatest amateurs of all time, never quite won a world title. But the rest of them, Leo Randolph, the two Spinks brothers, uh, obviously Sugar Ray Leonard, one of the greatest fighters I think of all time, uh, they they won world titles after winning gold medals in the 76 team. That's my favorite team. But usually, like I said, the Soviets, uh, they, they couldn't turn pro at that time. So you had very experienced guys. And the Cubans, same thing. Uh, you had... You had very experienced fighters that they didn't have an option unless, of course, they escaped and they came over here. Or, or, or same somewhere. dynamic with the um, with the Russian hockey team, which made that yes. 1980 uh, miracle on ice incredible. I mean, a lot of our listeners are probably a little young for this, but still, when I think about that, like that still can move me to tears. You think about I was I, I grew up playing hockey and played in college, and but when you think these, like you said, these are grown men. These are like half those guys would be NHL all stars, and they're playing against college kids from the u.s you have to understand what an incredible mismatch this is they beat them i think 10 to 1 two weeks before the olympics started at msg in a in an exhibition game so to think that these young i mean imagine a group of college kids beating an nhl all-star team in a game to win and it wasn't even to win the olympic gold they had to then go beat finland which also had a bunch of like superstars on it so they but what a friggin' game. I mean, it, it will never get old. You could watch it from start to finish until hell freezes over. It was just an incredible, incredible upset. Probably the greatest upset in sports history. Well, right up there with Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas. I mean, that's that's one of the great yeah. ones too. But yeah, I I would favor the hockey one. I, I would go with that. Yeah. I would Because Those of the elements you just kids. brought out. Because of all yeah. the dimensions that you just touched on. A bunch of college team beating the the greatest professional team in the world who had played together for years and years and years and you put this college that Russian team would that Russian team would routinely beat NHL teams yeah. they'd come and play them in exhibition and routinely beat NHL teams and these were college kids some of them didn't even go to the NHL like the, uh, they beat teams like uh Montreal i mean uh, yeah. i mean Montreal <laughs> yeah. was just one of the greatest NHL hockey teams uh, obviously ever and um and they beat like you said they beat teams like that and you got a bunch of college kids that 
just started shaving. I'm kidding. But <laughs> it's true. But, but a bunch of college kids that only had a couple months to play together. I mean, that's right. It's, it, that's it, right. it is extraordinary. It, and really. they had the dynamic that you had East Coast guys and, and guys from the um, the Midwest. So like the Michigan, Wisconsin kids. And they were like as an inter- internal rivalry from their college, um, from their college uh, rivalries. And uh, my uh, one guy who I came to be really close friends with over the years, Jack O'Callaghan, was one of the leaders of that team from Boston. And of course, Michael Rosioni, who scored the winning goal against the uh, Russians, was also a Boston guy. Um, but yeah, man, that was... I can't think about that without getting goosebumps. But with that said, Teddy, let's, let's get, get to goosebumps. the main attraction. Let's get goosebumps. Yeah. Let's get goosebumps. One of, one of the best heavyweight fights. I would say one of the best heavyweight fights I've ever seen. This had everything. I think there were five or six knockdowns back and forth. I have a newfound respect for Wilder. You know, when when Mark Breland threw in the towel the first time and Wilder was talking, I want to go out on my shield, I'll die in here. There was kind of, you know, a little bit of an element of like, it's a bit hyperbole maybe, but my God, he showed, he did exactly what he said he would do. He basically fought to the death. Even when he got knocked out face first down on the canvas, when the ref finally waved it off before he hit the canvas, Wilder was doing everything in his power to get back up and keep fighting. He was taking heavy shots from a guy who's 6'9", 270 pounds, putting thudding shots on him all night. And to Wilder's credit, taking nothing away from Fury, obviously he won. But man, I have a ton of respect for Wilder, the fighter. He did everything he said he was going to do in this fight. He laid it all out on the line. And look, no one's here to hit. No one is tuning in to hear what I think, Teddy. How'd you like the fight? I'm dying to hear your thoughts. You know, I, I opened up earlier about talking about now that Trillo Manila has some, you know, obviously uh, competition. And of course, there's other great trilogies out there too. Um, but you might you might have to add this one and maybe you would call it something like I came up with two quick names just before I came on the air here. Uh, the puncher who just wouldn't go away or the guy who never learned how to spell fight. Now, this is going to sound like I'm attacking him. The guy, but I'm again, I, I, the truth is important. The guy who never learned how to spell fight but knew how to speak heart and bravery. And that would be Mr. Wilder. Um, he, uh, Wow. That's that's the first thing, uh, and I second thing is, I learned something. I need to stop picking against Fury. <laughs> I, I I I need to do that. I need to do that. If I forget, Ken, please, please, as my friend, uh, remind me, remind me. Uh, you know. Well, the one thing I'll say is a lot of people called me and were like, I can't believe Teddy's picking Wilder. Look, it's easy to pick a two-to-one favorite, but you had the exact right idea. One little inch here or there, and Wilder might not, and Fury might not be able to get up from those two knockdowns that, that Wilder put on him. Uh, I thought Wilder was going to get him out of this. So I'm going to say man, this. I'm going to so say good. this. Uh, first thing I say is, you know, come on, have at me, you haters out there. Um, come on. No, really, really. Have at me, but at least put your trousers on. You know, don't do it in your mom's basement in your Heinz. Uh, your Hanes. I think it's Hanes underwear, right? Um, well, God knows whatever you're wearing. <laughs> I don't, we, we don't really need to go that far. We don't need to know that. Ugh! But, um, 
my motto for me with things I do is if you want to run with the big dogs, you can't sit on the porch. And I don't sit on the porch. I, right or wrong, I go out there and I take chances. And I tell you why. A lot of people, when they hear this, hear me, hear me out. I take full responsibility. But I was right about this fight. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I'm always going to take the heat when I'm wrong. And I eat my crumpets always. But you know what? You can serve them up. And I eat them again. I eat them again. <laughs> I picked the wrong winner. But there were no losers there. See, I, I, I'm not trying to be cute here. But there were no losers there. And as I said, I'm not trying to get out of my pick. I picked Wada. Fury won. But I picked a winner. I just picked one who couldn't fight. And, and, I'm, I'm, and here's the funny thing. I said that when I was picking it. I said it. I said, listen, Fury is a much better fighter. He's the easier pick. He's the much better fight. It's not even a contest. He's a better fighter. But, damn. On that night, he knew how to behave like a great fighter. And he did it because of what I said and why I gave him a chance. Why I picked him. I said it even when I picked him. You know, as I said, that I know I'm picking against a better fighter. But I pick Wilder because of what I referenced to in the Rocky movie, the third one I believe it was, when and, and sometimes movies depict real life. They do. They do. And in the third Rocky movie, we talked about it. You gave me the right name. Rocky was getting ready after a lot of title defenses, was getting ready, making a lot of money, being champion for a while, just like Wilder. He was getting ready to fight Club Lang, a very serious guy, like Fury, very serious guy. And Mickey didn't want him to fight him. Mickey tried to talk him out. And he said, no, I'm, I'm fighting him. Why are you against this, basically? You know, I know I don't get the verbiage perfect, but why are you against this? I, I, I'm the champ of the world. I'm the best in the world. I'll beat him like I beat everyone else. And Mickey said, this guy's different. This guy is not getting to tomorrow. And, and he, said, this, he said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? He said, you were fighting a bunch of setups. You, they were, and he said, what do you mean? You, they were, what do you mean? They were fixed fight? He goes, no, they were hand-picked guys. And then he said something that I never say about any fighter who gets in a ring. But on television, you can, you know, for a movie, you can say it. He said, they were bums. They were setups. They were hand-picked. This guy will knock your block off. And it was now, all of a sudden, Rocky Balboa had to wonder who he was, who he ever was. Was I ever champ of the world or did I fight a bunch of setups? Was I ever champion of the world? Were I ever really worthy of being called champion of the freaking world? Or did they set up a bunch of pins to knock over like you would in a bowling alley? And 
That's powerful. Wow. All of a sudden, who am I? Who am I? When I look in the mirror, who do I see? When I walk down the street, who do I, who am I identified with? Am I identified with the guy that fought a bunch of bums, as they said, in, in obviously in television, movie parlance? Or is this a guy that ever had the right to be called a world champion? He was fighting for redemption. But redemption over him. Redemption over who, who he was. What, what he was going to be the rest of his life. And that's why I pick Wilder, because Wilder was in the same position. And very rarely do you have something of that power behind you. And let me tell you something. I picked the wrong guy. I'll say it again. But there's a reason why he kept getting up. There's a reason why he kept taking. There's a reason why even through all that, he dropped the guy twice. And, and then he got hit and hit and hit and hit and hit and hit and hit. And he just kept somehow something kept picking him up that's what kept picking him up he was fighting for the right to look in the mirror and see what he needed to see when it looked back he was look he was fighting for his sheer existence you know we as human beings as men we we, of course, need substance. We need water. We need food. We have to have the blood run through our veins and pump into our hearts. We, we understand that. Um, but we also have to have a reason to be alive, to, to do more than live, to do more than exist, to be alive, to have to matter, to matter, to matter, to have something that stands us out, that we can, that we can feel special about, that we can feel that we, we do have a purpose here. Part of his existence was to be world champion. And then all of a sudden, that's in doubt. That's in doubt when he gets demolished by Fury. And now, he's going to find out, as I said with Rocky, whether or not he ever was more than a paper champion. That he ever beat more than a bunch of storefront mannequins that were lined up for him to beat. That... When the blood runs through his veins and into his heart and pumps, what is it pumping into? Is it pumping into a man who's a champion? Or a man who just found a way to knock off a bunch of pins because he could punch like hell? He was fighting for much more than a purse much more than a title. He was fighting for his identity. He was fighting for his soul. Because at the end of the day, a man without a soul is nothing. Is really nothing. And what is the soul? The soul is what you believe. 
Would you believe you are? Would you believe you have the right to project? The right to stand there and say, Hi, this is me. I'm here. I'm champion of the world. I count. I matter. I'm significant. And that's why I picked Wilder. And again, I understood I was picking against a better fighter. And Wilder would have won despite all of that. Except for one thing. He was fighting a guy who also had been on a mission a couple years earlier to find significance, to count, to matter. Fury was a guy who, after beating, winning the linear title against Klitschko, he went on a three-year downward spiral of drugs and booze and just destroyed destroying himself self-doubt maybe self-hate everything and he got to a place that you wish on nobody on your worst enemy you don't want if you're half a human being you never want a person to get to that place where they're suicidal where they want to give up the greatest gift anyone could be given the gift of life that he wants to give that up he no longer wants to be on this planet And then he gets, after three years off, people forget how long he'd been off. Three years off, through all this, he comes back and he fights the hardest puncher on the planet, Wada. And he gets dropped, he gets up, and then he gets dropped again in the 12th round. And he looks like he got shot by a 30-R6. He's laying there like he's gone. Thank God there was a competent, I'll say it again, a very, very competent referee. Because a lot of referees would have waved it off. Wrongfully, but we would have been past it. We wouldn't be talking about Wilder and Fury right now. We wouldn't be talking about Fury. That's for sure. But the referee started to count. Even though the guy just stayed there, laying there, still as a board. And I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you what was going on for me. He was... You know how they talk about when somebody's about to die, they see their life revisited in front of them? He was seeing his last three years revisited in front of him. Yeah, I know you only got 10 seconds. I get it. But that 10 seconds sometimes can last 10 years. And he's laying there, and he's seeing those last three years of his life. And before it got to 10, He made a decision, a choice between life and death. I'm not talking about physical, but life and death. Do you want to live? Do you want to die? you want to just exist? Or you want to be alive? He made a choice to be alive. He made a choice to live. Right there, he popped up and he said, I want to live. I want to live. And I want to win. And I want to be everything I could freaking be now. And he went out there and he won the rest of that round. And he won himself a $100 million contract with ESPN by getting up. By getting up. And then, of course, he won a couple fights with that contract. And then he fought the rematch 
and he obviously won by knockout and then set up the trilogy. That's That was the difference. He was fighting a guy, Wada, that not only was technically a better fighter, but was a guy who found his soul. It was a guy who went to that place. He's a guy who, quite frankly, when he was laying there for those eight seconds before he started to move, basically said, F you to the devil, go to hell. That's, that's, who, that's who he was fighting. A guy who said, I don't curse on his show, even though I know we're allowed to, but F you to the devil, go to hell. And that was the difference. That he was fighting a guy that had that. That had what he was looking for. That had what he was in search of. He already found it. He already went and captured it. He already discovered that he could go to those dark places. That he earned the right to live. He earned the light right to feel the way he wanted to feel. To say, I matter. Because for three years, he didn't know if he mattered. And that's what water was going through. Do I matter? Was I ever anything? Was I ever more than a freaking puncher knocking over, you know, guys? Was I ever more than that? Yeah, you are more than that, Mr. Wilder. You and me were never great friends or anything. We have different thoughts about things, and uh, quite frankly, I don't think you have the greatest personality. And there's probably some people that don't think I have the greatest personality in the world that they don't agree <laughs> with. Probably, I believe it or not, I don't know. There might be one out there somewhere. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure we could ever find one. But we might. We might. But I want to give you your due. Yeah, I know you lost, but you won. You're you're a champion in my book. You're a champion in my book. And um you found what you were looking for. You found it. And uh I wanna give you credit for it. I wanna give you all the freaking credit in the world, Mr. Wilder, for finding it. And I wanna I wanna break down the fight, the semantics, the tangibles, the physical tangibles of the fight. Um, that obviously did have impact on the fight. But but I had to start with what I started with because that's the crux of it. That's the nucleus of it. That's the heart of it because this was all about heart. That's the heart of it. Yeah. Can I add one thing before you do the breakdown of the actual fight? I just want to touch on something you said about when Fury was thinking about whether he should get up and all the challenges and struggles he'd gone through with mental health for the three years leading up to that point. I would say to the people listening to the show, like you don't have to be in a title fight to to display this kind of heart and determination. Lots of people struggle with the same issues that Fury was struggling with depression, a fraud complex. It, 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 I've struggled with this myself at times. You feel like, am I, am I really supposed to be here? What if they, what if I do something wrong? My point is everyone's going through these different challenges in their lives. You don't need to be in a title fight to pick yourself up, whether it's getting up tomorrow to work out before you go to work. Don't hit the snooze button. You're only lying to yourself. 
Take accountability. Get up. Keep moving forward. You don't have to win a world title to consider yourself a champion. Every step you take in the right direction is makes you feel good in the eyes of the only person that matters, and that's yourself. Because no one's going to like and respect you if you don't like and respect yourself. Nevertheless, Teddy, I just wanted to add that in there. Uh, let's get to the oh, fight breakdown. Yeah, no, I'm glad you did. Because look, when I started this, you asked a very relevant, important question in our first podcast. I'll never forget it. When when we first started, you said, Teddy, and we were introducing ourselves to the audience, you said, Teddy, what do you want to get out of this podcast? What do you visualize that this podcast can be? And I remember it took me about two seconds. I said, for me, my whole life has been boxing, close to 50 years now. And my philosophy, my beliefs, my way of looking at life is that life is a fight. We're all in a fight. You don't have to be chucking punches. We're all in a fight. It's just a matter of what do you fight for? And I hope to use this show in some way, in, in some sin, sincere and, and just, you know, humble way to connect the dots for people in life, in their own fights, in their own struggles. That's really what I want. Yeah, we're going to talk boxing, and then we turned in, we talk UFC, because that's fighting. And, and we do all that. Yeah, yeah, we do. But that's, for me, at the end of the day, that is the heart behind this show. That I would hope to God that I had the privilege and the ability to connect some dots for people in our audience in their own private fight that they put forward every day of their life. So as far as what happened, well, first of all, you know we get to the point. Here's the point. He put on too much muscle. Now, he, he was hurt. I know you have to have an opinion because you understand the, the body, you understand the physiology of, of the science of, of nutrition and of, of training properly. You do, Ken. I mean, you just ran a freaking marathon in a world championship caliber level. You understand that. And he bulked up too much. He bulked up. He was burning too much fuel. I tweeted, my, my man Rob does a great job. He put those tweets out. We did. We got really big numbers with them, what he told me. But wait a minute, my back is killing me. Hold to on. your point, the more muscle you have, the more red blood cells you need. Exactly. Because the blood has to carry oxygen to those muscles. It doesn't matter how much you train. You still need a lot more oxygen. You're, you're going to burn a lot more oxygen, which is going to tax your cardiovascular system. Exactly. So there's a fine line at every weight class of how much muscle is enough. And if you need an example of that, you look at the Tour of France riders. Those guys are putting out massive wattage and massive output, but that line of how much muscle to body, how much muscle to their body weight is incredibly important. It's critical. It's the most important element in bike racing is that body weight and muscle mass. And so, 100%. yeah, to your point, the more muscle, more you need to be, the more fitness you need. Listen, he put too much muscle on. He was too bulky. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm putting it in simplistic forms, but I'm putting it in true forms where he's a perfect example why the old-time trainers, the great old-time trainers, used to say it was taboo for their fighters to lift weights. Now, they weren't 100% right, but this is the example. They thought it, they thought it made 
it made muscles that were not fluid, that w- were not sinewy, that that would restrict you, would be cumbersome, would be difficult uh, to not throw. Pliable. Yeah, to throw smooth fight uh, punches uh, that would wear you down, that would restrict you. That's what they felt. This is the perfect example of what they didn't want, and this is the example of why they didn't think lifting weights was compatible to fighting or to being a great boxer but what they didn't know back in those days was that you that you do have the ability to lift weights in a in a controlled manner in a proper manner in a responsible manner with all the technology we have where it can add strength it can do the job you want without adding just bulk without doing the things they didn't want done where they lost flexibility they lost speed uh they they lost you know uh they they lost fluidity uh if you do it right you don't have to lose those things but if you do it to the level that he did it, that Wada did it, then it speaks to what these old-time trainers were afraid of, that it does it does give you a burden to deal with. You're, you're, burning, you're burning too much fuel during the fight, number one. Now, put it in a very simple way, um, but you're burning too much fuel, and if you look at them and follow what I'm about to say and remember the fight, it looks like... He's throwing punches wearing a suit that's two sizes too small. That that's what it looked like. In other words, he's restricted. He's re- now he still had power. I know he dropped Fury. He caught him coming in with that right hand. He timed him. It was a good shot. Uh, by the way, both guys when they initially got hurt, it was kind of interesting. They didn't get hurt with the punches to the chin. They got hurt with the punches to the temple. To the temple. That that's interesting. But having said that. He looked like a guy fighting in a suit that that was restricted in throwing his punches, and he was he was wearing a suit. It was a new it was a new body that that was wrapped around him, and I think I'm making no excuses. Fury won because of why he won. I just explained that. I explained the most important part first, not last. But he. He was already hampered because he doesn't, nobody ever taught him good technique, how to use his power really consistently, properly. He just had power. And it got him out of trouble, but it also got him in trouble. Here's a funny thing his greatest weapon, his offense, that's Wilder's greatest strength, is his offense. It's also his greatest weakness because it is so uneducated. Uh, it is so unsophisticated, it is so wrong that when he throws, he leaves him, if he don't land, which is quite often, he leaves himself wide open for a counter. He, he leaves himself exposed. So his greatest weapon, his offense, is his greatest, also his greatest enemy. It, it's, it's amazing, but it's, but it's true. And then add to the, equation here that you take his greatest weapon his offense his power you know his punching ability and you put this suit on him that he's got to wear <laughs> and and he's restricted all night and he complained about a 45 pound suit that wore him out on the way to the ring in the in their rematch well this time he really had something to complain about because he had that suit all night long 
that was just yep. burning up his petrol, burning up his gas tank, and you can see it. You can see. You know, I tweeted one time. He was existing. He was fighting at one point, and it was early in the fight too, on nothing but fumes, instinct, and heart. He it really, he really. That's why it was extraordinary what he did. That's why I give him the credit that I give him today, because that's what he was fighting on. And this, this is a guy. Now here's the other part of the equation the flip side to this coin, Ken, that a lot of people wouldn't go into. That's, for me, the easy part, the obvious part, that he was too bulky, that he was burning up too much fuel, he was restricted uh, in what he could do because of the growth of muscles, the way he grew them so quickly. But here's the other part I want to touch on. Why did he do that? See, that's it. Why did he do that? I'll tell you why he did that. Psychological, which is 90% of this, 85, 90, 75. It's at least 75% of it. The mental frame, where you are mentally. He did it because he had all his confidence knocked out of him in that last fight. He did it because he, he needed something to get him in that ring to believe. He needed a crutch. Yeah, I know it's a tough word. I know it's a tough word. I know it is. But listen, I, I can say it. I've lived it. I've been there. I, I've seen it. And I gave him all the accolades that he deserves. But he was looking for help. And he looked in the wrong places. Because you know the funny thing to me, Mr. Wilder? At the end of the day, in that fight, you found the help, the only help you ever needed. It was you. It was there all along. It was you. Yeah, you needed someone to teach you better, but you 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 found the only help you really needed. It wasn't the bulk of muscle. It was what was inside of you. It was you. That's all you ever needed. That's all you ever needed. And you looked in the wrong places. And I understand why, because of how desperate you were. And how empty you were, even though you wouldn't admit it in certain areas of belief. But at the end of the day, you looked in the wrong place. Because when you almost pulled this fight out, where did that help come from? Deontay Wilder. It came from you. And I'm going to say another thing. Early, for the people that want to say, well, was his technique improved? Again, if it was, I'd say yes. It wasn't. At the end of the day, it wasn't. It wasn't. I'm sorry for the people that don't like to hear such things. I'm sorry. But it wasn't. You know, I'd like to say I was the next Robert Redford. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I, I can't believe it. I'm not. I'm not. Okay? I'm not. And, and... So and for the people who want to say, oh, yeah, he was improved. And the commentators that get a little intoxicated, they get a little nutty. Oh, he's getting, he's getting better. Listen, it was window dressing. It was, it was a little bit of perception early on when he went to the body with the jab and he threw the right hand. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it hit what was 
going to be seen later that couldn't be hidden. But early on, it did hide it. It disguised it. It 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 dressed it up. It 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 gave the perception that he was better technically because by throwing to the body, he didn't fall off balance. He didn't do the things that he did later on when he threw to the head. The things that I talked about the week before the fight in our podcast, when he throws right hands like freaking frisbees on a beach and he hits the sunbathers in the head. You know, guy sitting there with freaking <laughs> copper tone on, and and he's trying to read a good book, and then bang, he gets hit in the freaking forehead with a frisbee. You know, well, <laughs> I mean, he went back to throwing frisbees again. He did, but early on, he didn't. He threw to the body, so it gave the look. It disguised it. It disguised it that his technique was a little better. But then when he went back to being him. And having to do more than throw to the body and having to throw the punches to the head, it was all there to see. His fundamentals, they stunk. They stunk as they have stunk. And again, his greatest weapon, his offense, gets him in trouble because when he misses, he leaves himself available to be exposed, to be caught. And he did. And Fury's better technique and Fury being what Wada was seeking to be. That guy that found his soul. That guy that had the answers. That guy that knew who he was. Who he was. He found that out in their first fight. He was fighting that guy and the guy who was technically miles ahead of him. And it showed in every area. You know where it also showed, Ken? On the inside. It, it showed on the inside where when they went on the inside and had to fight inside Fury was so much better so much yeah. better on the inside and hitting him with uppercuts and short little body shots and knowing just knowing how to manipulate the inside uh, Wada doesn't know how to do that Fury really really helped himself with that inside fighting and he also was smart. He's a genius, Fury. He is. He's a genius. Um, I give Wilder credit. I give him credit. He leaned on him with that 277 pounds. He leaned on him. He pushed him back. He, he leaned, made him push against him. A couple times when Wilder went down to his knee, he didn't go down to his knee because he was giving in or he was getting hurt. He was going down to his knee because he was trying to be smart where instead of fighting against that weight, he gave into it so he wouldn't have to spend himself fighting against that weight. That's what he was doing. And and he was trying to... I actually, I actually liked that the ref jumped in with a very stern warning because in the first fight, Fury kept grabbing him in a guillotine-style choke and leaning on him heavy. And he did that in the, the second... In this third fight, sorry. And as soon as he did it, the ref gave him a very stern warning, like, yo, don't keep doing that. I'm going to take a point. And, and he, and he kind of let up a little bit. But I thought that was to Wilder's... In Wilder's favor that the ref enforced that because it was very aggressive in the second fight yeah. with the leaning. No, and he... Listen, Fury knew what he was doing. And he knew the results. Yeah. That it would help burn this guy up. It would help... Where does you know where it would help him wear him down, and and it did, but again at the end of the day, the tangible, the the physical things, the the X's and O's, all of that stuff, 
that's my part of my responsibility to the fans to bring out this guy fury was fury was only fighting one guy Wilder was fighting two he was fighting a couple fights in there he was fighting to find out who he was to find out if he ever was that's a hell of a thing. Think about that. To find fighting to find out if he ever was. He was fighting that fight. And he was also fighting, you know, upstream. Like the salmon go upstream, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Every year they go upstream, they fight that fight, and it kills them to get there. Kills them. Because it's a lot easier to go downstream. And Wada's fighting downstream. I mean, Fury's fighting downstream. Wada's fighting upstream. With all these things I just brought out against him. Lack of technique. I mean, everything. All these things. What an extraordinary performance when you put it into this kind of perspective. In this kind of context. Extraordinary. And listen, I'm going to touch on something again that a lot of guys would not touch on. And I have no proof, and I'm not making an accusation, but it's my job to touch on things that are there to be touched on. PEDs. There, there are people out there that are experts. I'm not. You are a little bit. I'm not. But there are people out there that have said that, that our experts said, Wada had that look. He had that look. Listen, I don't know. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I'm going to just say he put on too much muscle and he did it in a more natural way. But some people might think I'm stupid. Some people say you're wrong. He had that look. He had the bubble look. He had the look, uh, you know, whatever. All the different things. The one, one thing one thing that I would add there is when you take a guy who's that kind of physical athlete and you add in a, a, a stringent weightlifting program, you're going to see a difference. That guy has a body. That guy has genetic gifts. If he lifts weights, you're going to see a difference if he wasn't doing that in the past. So regardless of whether or not whatever he was doing, that could just be just I, I think, listen... At the end of the day, I, I, th there are experts that didn't think that you could get to that level naturally. But I, I believe that until I'm proved wrong that it, that it was natural. But I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be fair to what I consider my responsibility. Uh, I wouldn't be up to my responsibility if I didn't put it in there since enough people brought it up uh, and, and touched on it. Um, but again, I, I believe that it was natural, but it was a mistake. And I believe I know why he did it, because he was looking for help. And the only help he needed was two places, within himself and to get somebody that he didn't get and he's never really had, I guess, to just improve. And maybe it's part that he doesn't want to be helped in that coaching technical sort of way. Let's be fair here, Teddy. Maybe it's that just that somebody didn't try to teach him, but maybe he's arrogant towards it. Maybe he's not a great learner. Maybe he just has great power and great instincts uh, and great heart and great will and great soul. But 
maybe he's not a guy. Maybe he's not a guy that is coachable or wants to be coached because you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that with the gift of power, it can be a curse. Because sometimes when you're given that great gift from nature, from God, if you will, of power, like I said, punches are made, are born, they're not made. It, when you're given that kind of gift, it could become a curse because you don't think you have to learn anything else to supplement it. You think that the power's enough. You get intoxicated, you get dependent on it, you get arrogant about it, you get cocky about it. You, you get, if you want, go real strong, you, you, get, you get almost like uh, a god complex where uh, I got this power nobody else has, and when I hit you, you're going to be gone. You're going to be gone. I don't care if I don't know how to throw a jab the way the Marcus of Queensberry says you should throw a freaking jab. But when, when I hit you, it's over. And sometimes it can be a curse. Because you don't think you can learn other things. Or you have to learn other things. But guess what? In this business, sooner or later, you're going to find out you do. You're going to find out you do. Because there's certain guys that they can punch too. Or they might never be able to punch like you. But they can do other things to even the playing field. And to surpass, the, surpass you. And they refuse to get knocked out. What are you going to do then? When you can't knock a guy out, what are you going to do then when your power is not enough? When you need other things other than your power, what are you going to do then? Then you're up a creek without a paddle. And I think he got up, part of it is he got up a creek without a paddle in that area, in that way. He also, a lot of people say, well, Teddy never learned how to throw a left hook. I kind of laugh. He he does throw a left hook like he's erasing uh, a chalkboard. You know, you go like this, you know, you go right across. I mean, he, he, he does. He throws a left hook like, like he's, he's got a towel in his hand and he's wiping a windshield clean. I mean, I, I mean it's, 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 it's kind of absurd. It's not a left hook. It's not a proper left hook. And some people said to me, Teddy, uh, the guy don't know how to throw a left hook. Well, there's a lot of things you don't know how. That's one of his problems, but that's not his only problem. But to that, he never learned that no matter what kind of left hook you're throwing, and that's not a good left hook, but you don't lead with it in front of a guy that, that's got a right hand. Because if you lead with a left hook, as I said earlier in the show, in front of somebody... You leave an opening for a straight punch to beat you. I mean, if you took the simplest, you know, geometry class, straight line beats a round line. I mean, it, it, it doesn't get more simple or basic than that. So you never, I never allowed my fighters to throw a left hook in front of a guy because a right hand can beat you to it. And he got hurt several times just from that. If you go back and look, just from throwing whatever you want to call that, 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 I don't know, whatever you want to call it, left hook, I guess, um, just throwing it in front of the guy, he got hurt just from that. So that 
those are all the things that he was dealing with, all the things that are some of his sins. You know, I've said it before. In the Catholic religion, which I'm a Catholic, we all have our beliefs, and some of us have different beliefs that whatever, and, and I respect all of them. But in my religion, there are sins, menial sins and mortal sins. Now, the menial, menial sins are the ones that you, you don't have to go see the guy with the horns, you know, if you do those, you know. Unfortunately, I've done some of the ones where you have to go see the guy with the horns, but what do you, I don't know, what do you mean? <laughs> so, um, I didn't do a lot of menial. I did a few, I did a few mortal, so I'm sorry. And, but the mortal ones are the ones that send you right over to the, you know, to the place where there's no air conditioning. And, but the, there's a way to deal with it. It's called confession. You go to confession, you confess your sins, and it erases them. The priest gives you some kind of, you know, couple, couple of Hail Marys, couple of All Fathers, you know, and, um, you know, uh, and uh, some penance, and you erase those sins, hopefully. Well, when you have the great power that Wilder has, it's like having your own confessional box. That you go in there and all the sins that you make all night long can be erased with one big thunderous right hand. The problem with Wilder is he doesn't, in the ring, he doesn't do a lot of menial sins. He does mortal sins. Where he leaves himself, and in boxing terms, what do I mean? Where it leaves yourself wide open for obliteration. Menial sins are like you get hit with a jab once in a while. That's a menial sin. Mortal sins, you're getting hit with freaking right hands on the kisser. <laughs> that's, 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 that's not good. And the so temple. Those, those are the things that he needs to confront. He needs to deal with. He needs to somehow, I don't know if he could come to terms with that. I don't know if his personality, his makeup will let him come to terms with these things that I'm talking about. Um, at the end of the day, again, I, and, and the reason why I brought up the, the real quick PEDs, even though I don't think he was on them, but there are some that are pointing to that. So I, again, I have to touch on everything. Otherwise I feel like I'm, I'm taking the easy way out. That's just how I feel. Well, then, in that case, in that case, to be fair, it's worth noting that in 2016, Tyson Fury was um, yes, yes, did test positive for Nandrolone. Yes, he, he vacated did. his uh, WBA title. The British Board of Boxing suspended him. So, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he is convicted of using PEDs. I mean, I'm sure he has a story like just like everyone else. But no, well, yeah, well, he he must maybe went to Mexico and, and had a, uh, ate a steak with uh, Canelo. I don't know, but um, you know, I don't know. Uh, but, but those guys have the best defense down there for their um, their their uh, transgressions. Get aggressive and scream and curse. Get get aggressive and scream and curse at you if you question them as to why multiple people in their camp have been busted for PEDs. We can't hide from the, the walks like a duck. Well, you can't hide from the elephant in the room. So that's why I put up. Now listen. That's it. Having said that, I think Vader and the whole thing is a joke, Ken. Because of course it no, is. No, I mean because it's not complex enough testing to really 
to really get the answers that you need to get when you want to hide from it. And everyone wants to hide from it. It's it's not it's not it's not good enough testing. I mean to say it in very simple terms. And it it's not consistent enough. And and the joke of the whole thing, whether it's VADA or any other, you know, organization that's supposed to be in charge of this, um, you have to have permission from the fighters that will willingly go along with it. It's a joke. I mean, really, it is. I don't know if they did any testing for this fight. Maybe Rob can look on the computer real quick and see if I they think, did. I don't know. I think Nevada. I think did Nevada they? State Athletic Commission requires testing. But if I it, again, we can verify. Rob will look it up. But my suspicion is that they entered into a anti-doping protocol probably eight weeks out and if you know anything uh, about like, I mean, even the most complex even the most complex testing at the tour of france the olympics there's still guys getting caught all the time which means there's a lot of guys getting away with it we saw on that documentary icarus the entire country of russia had a systematic doping program in place where they never got caught ever and they've been suspended from the olympics if you watch the recent olympics russia's not even allowed to compete under their own flag they compete under an olympic flag like, the point is, it's hard enough to catch people when you have a, a comprehensive, in-depth testing protocol like VADA tends to run. But the only way that you're ever going to have consistency is if you test 24-7, 365, so you can test out of competition. Otherwise, the possibility exists that these guys go on a cycle, get big, get fast, get strong, come off it in time to enter into the VADA protocol, eight weeks of, okay, eight weeks, you're off the gear. But for the, you know, however long you're on it, theoretically, you can beat this every day. I, I, I always say that I think that a lot of these boxing programs are more of an intelligence test than a PED test with the right doctors and people behind the scenes. I think that they're beating this system on a regular basis. That's just my opinion take it for what it's worth but i do think that there's a lot more dirty guys than they're getting caught well listen uh, yeah and and here's where the real joke is ken that you got these joking really uh so-called protocols and organizations to so-called look out to make sure you're not using peds you have to get the fighters to allow it you have to get them to agree to it which is unheard of because when you think about it it's the only sport where it has to be voluntary testing you got all the other sports you have to test it's involuntary you have to test they're not asking you for permission i mean you know hey uh do i have permission to uh test you that maybe you're putting something in your vein that that could crush somebody's skull. Uh, no, you don't have permission. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I mean, you have other sports that make it mandatory, and there's there's no sport that needs it more than boxing because, quite frankly, I don't give a crap. I want it to be clean too, but I don't give a crap if somebody's freaking beating the crap out of a baseball with you know with uh steroid with uh antibiotic steroids inside their system i care that it's cheating don't get me wrong uh i care for the integrity of the sport and for the other guys who aren't cheating but i could give a crap whether or not the cover comes off the ball okay i i really <laughs> but i do care if somebody has something in their veins that's going to allow them 
to punch somebody in the face much harder. That I care about. And that's where the line should be drawn. And the priorities should be put in place where it's mandatory, where somebody should have some sense. But that's the problem. You have no national czar. You have these separate commissions. They do what they're told by the promoters who are making money for them, paying their bills, keeping them, giving them a job, and on and on and on and on and on. Um, so that's that needed to have a little say there. Um, at the end of the day, PEDs, no PEDs. He was overbulked just from lifting weights. Uh, he was fighting uh, an uphill fight. Like I said, going upstream uh, with all that extra muscle. And one thing I got to say very clearly, all the PEDs in the world ain't going to make your heart better. They ain't going to make you have a soul and find a soul the way Wilder found his soul. All the stuff in the world ain't doing that that's on you brother and he did it he did it so i wanted to make sure i cemented that um if there's nothing else to really break down with this fight uh from you know from the x's and o's and the physical things that were taking place inside that ring that i think we covered pretty damn good i would like to touch on why Wilder, because I know a lot of people asked, why Wilder supposedly refused to take congratulations from Fury. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. When you said if there was nothing else, I was going to say the one thing that I would have liked to have seen after, after Deontay Wilder behaved the way he did during that fight, it literally changed my view of him in, a, in, a, in, a, in part is I wish he just said like, hey man, good fight. I know we talked a lot of crazy talk, whatever. It's part of the fight. They did a good job of hyping it. They delivered on it. I would have loved to have seen him say congratulations. He said all the right things in an in a, in, a, in, a, in the statement he released after he said, I did everything I could and the best man won. I was super disappointed that he wouldn't go over and shake the guy's hand because at the end of the day, okay, they insulted each other, but they've been in there three times together, beating the crap out of each other. Best man won, just like he said in his statement. Just shake hands, man. Good on you. You beat me. Congratulations. So I'm, I'm glad you want to address that because I thought that was an interesting component of the whole fight. Yeah, uh, listen, uh, here's my, my feeling on it. In some ways, the same as you. When... When these two guys act like warriors inside that squared circle in that chamber of truth, as I often would refer to it, um, and as the great Larry Merchant, I believe, uh, once referred to it many years ago, when it's all over, you very, very seldom, if almost never, you you do not you do not see those two combatants showing mutual respect. You know, whether it's hugging each other, shaking hands, embraces, whatever. Because they both knew where they went. They both knew what was at risk. They both knew what it took to go to a place that most people will never have the 
capacity to go to. To a place where it's dark and you got to bring your own freaking light. And you don't know if you're coming out of there sometimes. And you don't know how far in there you can go until you go. So you see a mutual respect that is unmatched in any other sport, in any other contest, in anything in the world, to be quite honest. And it's, it's rewarding to see it. It is. It's, and I think it's important to see it for all of us. To almost justify that these two men were trying to freaking kill each other before. I, I, I think it's almost necessary for us to think we're still human. That, that you know, we're not a Roman gladiator crowd, you know, that's just looking for blood. That we're looking for more than that. We're looking to see two men show us something we have never seen before. Show us how far one can go. How far one can stretch what they thought were limits. You know, it almost, it teaches us. You know, it teaches us that, you know, it's not only about, you know, going out there and giving it, you know, the old college try and just, you know, going as going to the extents that you can go to. But it's almost like it's reminding us in a strange way that we have a responsibility to find out. You know, we always say do your best. But it almost takes it to another place. Do your best, but almost like you should have the you should have the curiosity to find out what could be. What could be out there for you? What is possible? And you can never find that out until you're until you're willing to until you're willing to go beyond where you've ever gone before. You're willing to to take that risk. You're willing to go into, as I often say, that dark place and not stop when it gets dark, but instead keep going. Even when you sometimes can't see where the hell you're going. I know that sounds crazy, but, you know, I mean, if you, if those voyagers, if those, you know, explorers many, many years ago didn't keep going out on the ocean, we never would have known that the world's not flat, that you don't fall off. And in some ways, they teach us to be our own little voyagers, to be our own little you know, discoverers to discover, you know, how far is too far and what is never too far. They they teach us that. They show us that. And sometimes it gets pretty brutal. 
And again, I think we need to see them embrace the way they often do, almost always do. We need to see them embrace to know that we're still human, to know that there's, there's, you know, there's a reason why we watch this. It's not just about somebody being knocked into their unconscious uh, state. That it's about things that are more valid than that, more meaningful, more important than that. And that they show us that by embracing and giving that respect to each other. So I think that a lot of people were upset by that. And I heard that there was a lot of people, and you were upset about it. But for me... I want to give a couple, not excuses for it, but I want to point out a couple things that haven't been pointed out about that. The way that Wilder acted afterwards or didn't act afterwards that did not bode well with everybody. First of all, he's concussed. You don't need a doctor to tell you that he was concussed. Believe me. Believe me. He was concussed. So to, to be... To have to do that immediately afterwards when you're concussed, that, that is part of the scenario. That he's, I'm not making an excuse for him. But the other thing is that it's... How many people out there, we always want to see a gracious you know, guy in defeat, but... Was Michael Jordan a great loser? I don't know that he was. I don't think he was too good a loser. That's a very good point. I, I think that sometimes you don't want to see a good loser. I mean, I know you want to see gentlemanly behavior. You want to see the things I just talked about. You want to see that. But do you always want to see... Uh, are there people out there that would say that Joshua was much too good a loser when he lost to Ruiz and when he lost 100%, to Uzik. 100%. Yeah. Almost didn't seem upset enough. He was too gracious. I would have liked to see a little less of that. He's a gentleman. I applaud him for that. I get it. Everyone has different personalities and what they think are their responsibilities in behavior. I get it. But I'd almost like to see a little bit of a poor loser after those fights with Joshua. I'd feel a little bit better about his future if I saw that. And I didn't see that. I think that's part of what, I'm making no excuses, that's part of what you see. Wilder's not a good loser. Nope. I mean, as as part of it, he's arrogant. And he, listen, I don't think he, I started this conversation early. I don't think he has the greatest personality in the world. But there might be one person out there on the planet that thinks I don't have a great personality. There might be. I'm not <laughs> sure. So, you know, so I, I, I understand. But having, even with that, he, some guys hate losing. And some guys, it's their protective system. It's everything to, to not acknowledge that they could lose. That that's part of what allows them to win. That's part of what allows them to, to march to the drummer that they have to march to to face the scary things they have to face. And they're scary things for a fighter to face. Very scary things. 
and you got to find a way to do that without taking a drink of alcohol and you know without uh taking something that's unnatural you have to be able to find something inside yourself to face those things and part of what he finds is his disdain for losing his his inability to admit somebody's better than him that works for him i think that's part of it part of, and part of it is just his makeup his personality uh <laughs> that you know some people might hate but again making no excuses i would have liked to see a handshake i would have liked to see an acknowledgement back to wilder that hey we did something special brother and um you were great i was great uh we we just taught a lot of people out there how to behave in the most difficult situation and one of the most difficult situation in life when you're threatened when 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 you got to find a way that's beyond physical because what they found was beyond physical what he did what Wilder was doing when he was gassed gassed it was beyond physical what what fury did after he got dropped twice was beyond physical it was the willingness to go to a place that well to a place you didn't even know existed almost like stepping out in space not knowing if you're <laughs> if you're gonna float away really <laughs> uh, not knowing if you're gonna float away and be gone and and a willingness to take that step and i would have liked to see like everyone else to say hey we took that step brother and you know what we just set we just set a standard we just set uh, a sort of tablet for people to maybe take their step to take their step when they're in a similar situation of doubt of fear you know of threat of danger so yeah i would have liked to see that but as i said look we saw what i gotta be fair as i always try to be uh i'm not i'm not just giving an excuse to him i'm putting it out there what he did and didn't do uh wilder we also didn't see what we liked when we saw mcgregor and poirier let's be honest you know um i i know mcgregor had a broken leg i get it so you can maybe make that excuse that he had a broken leg. Uh, he wants to keep his image up. The adrenaline was flowing. You know, you could make that excuse, but you would be doing just that, making excuses. Yeah, yeah, yes. There was no excuse but, for his behavior. But at the end of the day, we would have liked to see much better behavior. We would have liked yes. to see him at least acknowledge that, hey, brother, um, we, we went out there and we do what we do. We put it all on a line, and uh, God bless. And and of course, our friend Dustin Poirier took the high road after some terrible things, and that's where it was different. Wilder didn't go down yeah. that road at all. But after some disgrace, terrible things, terrible things that was said by McGregor, what, is, what does our friend Dustin Poirier do? He's got a choice. He could go back with the same uh, stuff, but no. He's got enough character, enough grace, and uh, enough class, if you will. What does he say? He says, 
get home safe. I pray I get home safe to your family. I hope he gets home safe. And what did what did Fury, to his credit, say? I pray for him. Same thing. I pray yeah. for him. And yeah. and again, Wilder wasn't saying these derogatory, nasty things. He just wouldn't. He wouldn't acknowledge his handshake. He wouldn't. He wouldn't give back what was being offered to him in that way. And that bothered a lot of people. And um, you know, Wilder has a certain personality that not everyone's going to like. And you know what? Who knows what's truly behind it? I know he has a great story that I do like. He's got a great story of a disabled daughter that he takes care of, that he actually started boxing at about 1920. He started late. Um, to Part of it was the goal was to be able to take care of and provide for her. I like that story. I That person's there. You can't be that and then not be that on some level, you know, in there. It's got to be in there somewhere, a connection. If you're that, then you have to be better than what you project sometimes in a way that people might look at you and say, I don't like that guy. There's, there has to be a connection to that. And it reminds me a little bit of, a guy who was heavyweight champ named George Foreman, he didn't have the greatest personality at the beginning. <laughs> but his second life, his second career, after he lost to Ali and you know went through the transformation he went through for all those years and then came back in 45 and did the, the unimaginable, he won the title. But he, was, he became a more gracious likable George Foreman in his second coming. But early on, and he's one of the most likable, charismatic, intelligent guys on the planet, George Foreman. But he wasn't always that guy. He was once a guy that you would say, I, I don't want to spend two minutes with this guy. He, he doesn't have a nice personality. You know? So, at the end of the day, uh, we don't know if we're going to see a fourth fight or not. I I do think that a lot was left in that ring. And I always say that, I've said that forever when I caught the fights at ESPN, that the reason why these fighters can't get paid enough in my, in my book is that every time they get in a risk or every time they get in a ring, they leave the ring with less of themselves than they went in there with. And there's no doubt that Wilder particularly left that ring with less of himself, less of himself physically. And he needs a long rest. He needs a long rest. And um, I wish him well. I congratulate, as I said earlier, uh, the two of them uh, for for teaching us, for showing us how to behave when you're in the most impossible, difficult, scary, threatening situation you could ever be in. I, I thank them for that. 
One, uh, as an aside, did you happen to catch the interview after the um, fight with Tyson Fury? Uh, the battle, the scrum between Bob Arum and Frank Warren to see who could get in the shot with Tyson Fury being interviewed. It always makes me laugh when the promoter wants to be in that interview at the end as if they were somehow involved in the uh, actual combat. Like, I love when the trainer's there and Tyson Fury grabbed Sugar Hill, made sure he got the recognition he deserved. But it's always funny to me to see the promoter getting in there like they just see their head pop up behind them like behind behind uh the fighter like hey guys i'm here too um anyway i thought that, that was funny a quick um uh, teddy i just want to give a quick thank you to um rick brzezinski producer extraordinaire over at um showtime and bellator he got me tickets to the um uh, bellator um, fight that was happened in london the douglas lima against uh, michael venom page fight out in wembley Thanks, Rick. Those seats were unbelievable, front and center. Um, awesome treatment. Thank you, Teddy, for arranging. Um, I had a great time. Congratulations to Bellator putting on an awesome event in Wembley. My God, the fans there were passionate, and they were out in droves, and uh, they almost blew the roof off the place. So, How'd they treat you? How'd the thanks fans you. treat you over there? They recognize oh, you? Oh, fantastic. It was great. The only downside was that Roy Jones was sitting with me, and if I tell you... Every single fan in the arena came by at some point, stepped on my shoes as they were tell grabbing Roy in a headlock. They, this is this is the move. Jeez, I really hate to do this, but do you mind if I get a selfie? As they put him in a guillotine choke and take a selfie, whether he likes it or not. And uh, unfortunately, when you're in the path of these guys, it's like, yeah, yeah, dude, I know you're here, but I need a, I need a picture with this other grown man, so I'm going to just come charging right through like you're not even there. So, You mean yes, they, they, were they, great, they but chose to get a picture of Roy over you? Maybe like every third or fourth guy oh, recognized well, me right. and wanted to, uh, but they didn't want a picture at Roy's the, at the expense of missing a picture with Roy. Roy has you know, a great personality. He's a good guy. He's the best. I mean, what a good sport. Like I said, people don't ask. They grab you in a headlock and say, I hate to do this, but can I get a selfie? In other words, hey, I don't care what you think. I'm taking a selfie with you, and I'm going to put you in a headlock to do it, even though I'm sweaty and drunk. But uh, So that part of it was fun. But no, the fans were great. They always are in the UK. They're passionate. They're, they, they come to party, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So thanks, Rick. Um, with that being said, before we sign off, Teddy, I just want to remind people, if they like hearing the stories about your, your, your journey in the sport of boxing and some of the athletes that you've trained and your own personal journey with Customato, reminder that you should check out Teddy's book, Atlas, From the Streets to the Ring, A Son's Struggle to Become a Man. It's available on Audible in audio format. It's also available on Amazon in paperback. Great book. Can't go wrong there. And if you'd like to receive a personal message from Teddy, please check out Cameo. Go to Cameo and search for Teddy Atlas. You'll find him there. And, uh, you know, I've seen some of the messages you've sent to people. They're quite inspirational. And, you know, sometimes people are going through things and they could use, a, um, you know, a little motivation from the master, Teddy Atlas. With that said, Teddy, I think we covered it all. This was a long one, but there was a lot to cover in this event. And uh, I appreciate you for doing this. Um, anything you got before we sign off? Yeah, I want to read I want to read one thing, a real short uh, paragraph and a half that I wrote. Hats off, because I wrote it when it was fresh in my head right after the fight. Hats off to both for showing us again that man, when driven, when possessed with a special purpose, he can go to places never seen before. And by doing so, he can teach us all that not only more is possible, 
but it's necessary for us to always be searching to find more, to find places to uncover, to search out, so that when this journey called life comes towards the end, we know we've gone as far as we could. I just wanted to put that because to me, that was what I got out of tonight. That's what I was left with. That reminder, that message. And you don't get that kind of message very often uh, in life by watching yeah. competition of two men. But you did get that message. You get it. You get it sometimes in UFC. We've gotten it. Um, but you got it Saturday night. Yeah. And one last thing before we sign off, I just want to give a quick shout out to our friend Bardia over at PremierFightPicks.com by Bardia Helmy. He's been on a tear the last four weeks. He's got a 50% winning record, publicly tracked for over for, for the past three plus years. If you like to bet on fights and you're looking for help picking winners, please check out PremierFightPicks.com to subscribe. There's five UFC events scheduled for the next five weeks. Perfect time to sign up. He also gives out a ton of free picks on his Instagram page, which is at Premier at Premier Fight Picks, and on Twitter at PFP Handicapping. So please give up, give Bardia a shot. He's been advertising with us for a while. He does a great job. Um, with that said, Teddy, two hundred thousand subscribers. You think we can get there tomorrow? We're a thousand away. I'm gonna say the people that have control over that or the good people we're talking to right now. It's in their hands. And I believe in those people. I more than yep. believe in them. I say thank you to those people. And um, as I've said, you've said, if you, if you like what we do, and you're there, so you obviously do, and you want us to keep doing it, then please go subscribe, because that's the only way we can keep doing this. If we're yep. able to... Uh, continue to grow and grow from those well from you beautiful people out there so my answer to you is it's in the hands of people i trust so i'm gonna say yeah <laughs> i'm gonna say yep. yeah if, if not tomorrow the next day but uh all right I'm, I'm gonna say it's gonna happen in the next one or two days so if you're watching this on YouTube, please just click subscribe. It really helps us, uh, all joking aside. Appreciate everyone. I feel like Shout Captain Kirk. Remember Star Trek? Yeah, of course. That was a great show, right? Star, I feel like Captain Kirk, you know, with the Starship Enterprise. Moving on. <laughs> moving on to discover new New places out there. New frontiers <laughs> out in space. Moving forward. Well, that's, that's how I feel. Beam me up, Scotty. Beam me up. Beam me up, Rob. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back next week. Lots of good action coming up. Like I said, we got five weeks in a row of UFC. There's some huge fights coming up on the boxing calendar. Stay with us. Like I said, please subscribe, share the links, leave us some comments. Thanks for being with us. And check out Box Raw 36 Collection from Teddy Looks Atlas. Looks good on you, kid. Take it easy. Thank you, brother. <laughs> <laughs>